Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome everybody to another week of House of the Unusual podcast where we bring you the strange and the unusual in audio form. <laughs> anyway, this week I have some exciting news. Finally, my brother has come true. He has created one of the best websites, or actually it is the best website Honor uh, House of the Unusual has ever had. Uh, the website had become live as of this morning. I think actually yesterday morning uh, we were still working a couple of nicks and and stuff that were going on that weren't working properly. As of now, the website should be working 100%. Uh, I want to thank my brother for such a wonderful uh, website because it is really good. Uh, Him and his IT department really came forward this time and and created an astonishing website. I love it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's got a blog you can register and become a member of. You can post. Uh, It actually has its own shopping cart technology in. So when I sell products, I no longer need to have eBay or even though I'm going to... Still maybe maintain a presence on eBay and Etsy. I think all my products are going to be going on to the website as we, you know, as we speak. Now, the other thing that's really exciting this week is approximately three days ago, I finally uploaded and published the book Alien Ball from Space, Unraveling a Cosmic Artifact. Now, this, if you guys uh, have been listening to prior podcasts, I've mentioned that in Florida, a magician friend of mine acquired a ball from a person by the name of Victor and this person lives in the Orlando area and apparently while he was cleaning one of his barns or something he found the ball in a corner and he kind of compared it to the Betts Bowl. It was a very similar story so now the Betts Bowl was uh, a 1974 artifact that was uh, found in uh, off of Jacksonville in a by a family called the Betts family. Now, the ball mysteriously had movements according to, you know, the, the thing, the story behind it. And the Navy got involved. The Dr. Hainick from the UFO community got involved. And the ball, you know, took its a life on its own. It became an enigma. It became a, the ball from space. But anyway, after Victor acquired the ball, he gave it to the magician because apparently the magician, you know, he, Victor, I heard through the magician, is a guy that, constantly goes there like every few years and attends the show but I think the guy is really into pirate stuff and you know collectibles and because of everything that you know that he does and stuff he goes to uh, St. Augustine a lot he lives in Orlando so uh, what he did is he gave it to Victor I mean he gave it to the magician and he told the magician that the ball apparently had you know it looked familiar to the Betts ball. At that time, the magician had no idea what the Betts ball was or none of that stuff because uh, he is a little younger. And apparently he realized what it was. And then he kept it in his back room there. And when I went a few months ago to Florida with my brother, we went over to St. Augustine. And, um, you know, the magi- and I'm saying the magician because I'm not going to reveal his name uh, in case this or anything goes viral or something. I don't need people to be bothering him. Uh, but anyway, the whole point is that um, he said to me, I have something you might be interested in. So when he showed it to me, I'm like, well, <clears throat> it does look a lot like it. In fact, I could swear it's the same. 
Uh, it has all the markings, everything to like the original. So I said, he goes to me, if you want, you can have it. So he gave it to me and I took the ball and I brought it over to New Jersey. There is a guy I've used in the past that lives in the vicinity of where I live. And uh, he has a lab and he is a Russian, which is funny because he is Russian and, and it, it was perfect for the ball. And he holds a PhD in both computer science and electrical engineering. And he, um, so he actually has two PhDs, this individual, very, very, uh, good person uh, he was willing I didn't charge me a lot which was good and he examined the ball he took the ball through regular testings and stuff to see if the ball would do anything that was said and what was it composed of did it have a magnetic field did it move on its own all those tests were done and it was actually all published in a book called alien ball from space unraveling a cosmic artifact which I just stated was actually published on Amazon three days ago so you can actually get it through either kindle this is the first book i actually um it was kind of by accident because i wasn't going to release it release it in kindle but before i realized it was already there so i'm like you know what let me let me let it happen uh now a lot of people would say why don't i want to release it in kindle because the problem with books going on kindle is that one if you sell books on kindle it kind of uh it's an electronic book and not too many people really read electronic books. The electronic books are read and the stuff that actually works there are mysteries, novels, and certain other things. So I'm not too sure how well a book about science or, you know, even DIY, like the last two books I put out, How to Haunt with Magic and Skull Magic Unleashed with Chuck Caputo. Um, I'm not sure how well those books will do there. So I didn't want to waste my time and, you know, offer a platform the, that I, you know, honestly don't know how how well it will do. We'll find out now with Kindle because I actually have this the a space ball for, um, a ball from space, alien ball from space, is a book that has I I did it in the three formats. I have it in hardcover, I have it in a soft cover, and I also published it in a Kindle. Now, as of this Friday, I'm actually going to get my first hardcover edition of Skull Magic Unleashed, which I ordered almost a month ago. I do not know why Amazon, when you produce anything, especially in hardcover, it takes usually a month before they're available quickly. Maybe it takes longer, I don't know. But the soft cover is made out, you know, immediately. Like you can buy the soft cover like overnight once you publish it. Uh, so of course, all the books are being offered in soft cover. But the best part is that with the, um, with this one, with the Alien Bets Ball, what I'm going to be doing is I created a video where the, the doctor is actually testing the ball. And I'm, I uploaded it to YouTube already, but I'm going to make it live in a week or two. I'm going to let the book uh, sell a few copies so that people can get an idea of what we're talking about with the Victor Ball. Now, when I say Victor's Ball, because I can't call it the Bets Ball because I'm not sure... If it is one of the same now after I mean there is a some testing that was done that can prove if either is true or not I'm not gonna bring that because I'm not gonna actually say what the conclusion is because uh, you got to read the book <laughs> uh, that's the idea um, I don't want to like you know tell the ending of what the book is about and then you know it's gonna be 
not that well taken by the public. So um, overall, like I said, the book is available. If you guys are interested, if you guys are into UFOs and stuff, this is something that will transform you. It's a new, not a new topic. It's a topic that has been lost for about 40 something years. Uh, no one knows where the actual bets ball is, even though I believe the wife said that she didn't want to divulge she, the, you know, the idea where it was. But this is like 45 years ago. So look, look at it this way. If it is the Victor Ball, because it, it is found in Orlando, so it's in the vicinity of where the original was found. So if this is one of the same ball or not, it's something that, you know, we'll need to find out. And go ahead. I, I would recommend buy the book. You'll come to a conclusion. Um, there is a conclusion at the end of the book. There is a lot of testing that was taken. On, and in fact, I spent a couple of dollars in all this test to be done and to get this book published. Um, <clears throat> I would definitely recommend anybody out there to, like I said, it's available right now on Amazon. And you can get it again in the three formats. I re I'll repeat it again in soft cover. You can get a hard cover and you can also get it on, um, on Kindle edition. Now, another thing I wanted to bring out is that this coming week, I am working on a book with Chuck that we again, and actually the same scientist, the same doctor is kind of involved in it because I needed to do some research and he's got tools to do research that I don't have. And I mean, like the company he's, uh, that he has or he owns uh, they pay a certain amount of money, I forget what it is, for this in-depth study guides and stuff that they get where they'll get papers uh, uh, that me and, and other people don't have access to in investigations and stuff like that. Anyway, there is a book that's coming out soon. I, I don't know how soon, probably a week, I mean, two weeks, three weeks. It's being worked on now by a couple of different parties and is being put together. And <clears throat> the book is entitled Shadows of Time, The Chrono Shadow Initiative. Now, what this book is about, I'm going to just basically say a really quick summary of what it's about. And I think a lot of people might be interested in this book because this is going to be one of the best books ever published by House of the Unusual. Now, the Chrono Shadow Initiative is a clandestine group that was apparently started. Rumors has it that it was started around the time of 1943 or 44 when Nikola Tesla passed away in his New York hotel room. And then the CIA and FBI raided his room, took out all his documents, and apparently uh, the Shadow Chrono Initiative was started. Now, this clandestine group apparently has, this is what the rumor is. And again, I'm not going to really put too much in the book because this is really being worked on and is being researched. And uh, I mean, like I said, it's going to be a phenomenal book. I can't wait to read it myself, you know. But it's gonna somehow, there's a combination of the Nazi bell, and everybody knows the Nazi were working on what looks like a flying saucer or an aircraft called the Nazi bell, and the Kettsburg incident in Pennsylvania, which resembles an acorn aircraft. There is a tie, I believe, between the two, and it deals with something with time travel. So having said that, it's going to be a phenomenal book. 
Um, again, it's going to tie in the Ketchburg incident, uh, the Philadelphia experiment, and it's going to tie it in with the Nazi bell. The Chrono, if, if you guys, Chrono Shadow Initiative, Chronos is book, you know, when you kind of take notes and you keep records of things and shadow, of course, are black projects. Initiative is, it's being done. So the Chrono Shadow Initiative um, is something that just came into my, my realm a few years ago. And now I decided to ask the scientist who did the research on the alien ball about it. He was very intrigued and interested on the fact, and then he started doing some research, and I spoke with Chuck about it, uh, Sherry was involved, and a few of my other partners, and we've decided that there should be a book about the subject, and again, it's called Shadows of Time. You're going to love the cover. It's probably the best cover I've produced this far, thus far, and um, of course, I've been getting a lot of help from the... Uh, Joseph Quevedo, my brother's uh, IT department, which they also have graphic artists and stuff like that. So we have been coming out with really phenomenal covers. Um, when I'm saying we is, I of course, at the end of the day, I'm the one that decides which cover I like the best or, you know, after I test a couple of the covers. But this cover is a killer cover. And this is called, again, Shadows of Times, the Chrono Shadow Initiative. Now... Having said what I said, uh, there's a couple of other books that we are going to be publishing. Uh, one of those so-called books uh, that's coming along to it's called uh, Mysteries of the Unknown, uh, UFOs, Men in Blacks, The Untold Stories. I'm going to take the advantage now that I've befriended a PhD, a Russian PhD in many of the of the things I'm, I'm, I want to put together because his research is phenomenal. His book writing skills are phenomenal. And I really want Chuck and Sherry now. They're, they're going at it 100%. And I've decided to, you know, to publish a couple of the books that for years I've had research papers on. I mean, I've bought for years and years, since 2000, I've bought hundreds and hundreds of papers and books on subjects and studies that I was going to publish a different book. Now, a lot of people uh, might not know this, but before Mail Order Mysteries came out by Kirk Demaris, I was trying to publish Mail Order Mysteries. I mean, not the book by that title, but a book about the mail order and all the stuff that was available in uh, back in the day that was available by the, um, you know, mail order, like stuff you would buy in comic books, uh, stuff you can order for. And what happened is that, of course, a big publisher like Inside Editions, having more money than I had, of course, was able to get a guy like Kirk to write the book and they beat me to the punch. So what I did is that Kirk asked me to use my collection as a reference and he came over, flew and, and half of the book, I mean, I mean, half three quarters of the book contains my collection, except the section that has the mask. That's really Ray Castillas, another good friend of mine who apparently owns the largest top stone and, and stuff mask collection in the world. In fact, he's an authority on the subject. And, um, you know, so that section of the book actually is his, but I have the rest. And so I have a book that I've been working on for almost 10 years now. 
And it's going to be called The Seven Foot Monster That Never Was. Now, that project is going to be a big project. That's going to be published probably in a few months. That I'm working with several people are helping me write the book. I'm not doing it by myself. There's quite a few people that are doing this. So having said that, guys, thank you. And Chuck, take it over, buddy. Okay, Eddie, thanks a lot. We have a very interesting podcast today. I'm here by myself. My beautiful wife couldn't make it tonight. She was abducted. (laughs) Just kidding. Hopefully she'll be back next week. But this is about famous UFO stories. Now, I handpicked a few of them that I feel uh, stand out. Ones that are somewhat obscure. You may not have heard of them. Perhaps you did. I'm not sure. But uh, let me start off, where did the term flying saucers, where did the uh, phrase come from? How was it formed? Well, on June 24th, 1947, pilot Kenneth Arnold was flying near Mount Rainier, Washington, and he saw nine unidentified flying objects shaped like, quote, flying disks or saucers. So that's how the, the phrase got coined flying saucers ever since Kenneth Arnold. Very, very interesting. All right, here's a really cool story that, you know, throughout the years I've thought about many, many times. It's Betty and Barney Hill. On September 19th through the 20th, 1961, a strange occurrence happened to a couple driving home from a vacation in Niagara Falls. This happened just south just uh, south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. Betty claims to have seen a bright light in the sky. She reasoned it was a falling star, only it moved upwards instead of downwards. She looked through binoculars as well as Barney did look as well too. He surmised it was a commercial airline. Suddenly the craft rapidly descended in the direction. It was not a plane. The hills continued driving on the desolate road, which was U.S. Route 3, watching the object become even closer. They estimated the craft to be approximately 40 feet long. Finally, the craft uh, hovered silently above their 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air, about 80 feet above them. Barney claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures. He exited the car with pistol in hand. The figures were peering at him. Red lights of what appeared to be uh, some type of a a telescope uh, came out of the sides of the craft, as well as a long landing gear type structure, which came out of the bottom of the craft. They arrived home about dawn and had mixed up fillings and could not be explained. Their watches never worked again. The strap on the binoculars was torn, and Barney's shoes uh, were scuffed and ripped. Both drew pictures of what they had seen. Now here's an interesting note. Uh, Shiny concentric circles were on the trunk of their car. When approached with a compass, the needle spun rapidly. Both Barney um, and her husband, uh, excuse me, Barney and Betty, were both interviewed by a Boston astronomer, Walter Webb, for more than six hours. Barney had a mental block 
and he couldn't remember a lot. Ten days after the incident, Betty had vivid dreams. She said men surrounded Barney on the road and their car. Betty was forced by two small men into, quote, a force of light. Each was approximately four feet tall. Their skin was grayish color. After what appeared to be missing time, the couple were escorted to their car as the craft departed. The drive should have taken four hours, but took seven hours. Under hypnosis, both Betty and Barney, they both, uh, they, they were both, uh, the stories lined up perfectly. Barney died in 1969 at age 46. Betty never remarried and became somewhat of a celebrity in the UFO community. She died in 2004, I believe of cancer, if I'm not mistaken. This story always stuck in my mind, and I remember it rather vividly. Uh, I've seen uh, different uh, TV programs, actually. They, they, they did a story on Betty and Barney. Very, very unusual story. Like I said, it always stuck in my mind. The interesting part is that under hypnosis, both of them told the same story. So I don't know. You can draw your own uh, conclusions on this. Here's one of my favorite stories. Uh, quite a few people have never heard about this, surprisingly. In Socorro, New Mexico, a UFO landing in the late afternoon on April 24th, 1964, supposedly took place. Police Sergeant Lonnie Zamora followed in his police uh, cruiser what appeared to be an unidentified flying object. The object landed in an arroyo just south of Socorro, New Mexico. Lonnie states the egg-shaped craft traveling from the south into Socorro at approximately 5.45 p.m. It emitted a blue flame and was, uh, and was just a strange glow about the whole craft. Zamora observed the craft landing and several small figures emerging and walking around the craft. Lonnie reported markings on the hull uh, which appeared to be a vertical arrow with a horizontal line beneath and a crescent-shaped line above it. Lonnie tried to radio in what he had seen, but static prevented him from doing so. After the craft departed, Lonnie's friend Sam Chavez, he was also a sergeant, arrived and saw indentations in the ground. They were circular and about nine inches deep where the object apparently landed. There was burnt shrubs and leaves all around this area. There was uh, quite a few uh, people that did investigate this, and I believe even um, even the uh, military came in, and it all seemed to support what Lonnie was saying. So that's the strange thing about this. Now, what has me kind of believe Lonnie is that, first of all, he was he was a police officer, okay, and you know, so so that kind of puts him in a in a higher category. And I remember reading or seeing somewhere on television that he consulted his priest about this whole situation. So the man was shaken to his core. Uh, very, very cool story. If you have a chance, check this out. You know, there's, there's a lot of good uh, uh, books that have been written about this as well. So check it out if you get a chance. Okay, here's an interesting one. Most people have definitely not heard of this story. The small town of Aurora, Texas apparently had a strange visitor in April 1897. 
You heard me correct, 1897, not 1997. There was some type of an airship that apparently struck a windmill, crash landed, killing the pilot. Different strange pieces of metals were found, which consisted of aluminum and iron. It was said the pilot, who was deceased, was badly disfigured and of small stature, approximately three and a half to four feet tall. The body was given a Christian burial in the local cemetery of Aurora. Now, there's been several television specials that highlighted this uh, story as well. And they go back to like the 1980s because there, there were several uh, witnesses supposedly who were, uh, who were who were children at this time, which you know about nine or ten years old. So I guess in the, you know even back in the 1980s they were in their mid to late 80s. So so, so supposedly there was there was some witnesses to this, and there was a tombstone. It was a blank tombstone, from my understanding, that marked this this grave, and in later decades it mysteriously disappeared. So I don't know. I mean, very, very strange story. Check it out. I think it is worth uh, looking into. Here's another one. Very unusual story. A small town of Kelly, Kentucky had unwanted visitors at approximately dusk in 1955. When Billy Ray Tyler walked to the well for a bucket of water, Tyler heard a hissing sound in the trees and ran back into the house where his wife, and nine members of the Sutton family laughed at him because they thought he was chicken. (laughs) Shortly, not long afterwards, several other unworldly humanoids with undersized bodies and oversized heads approached the farmhouse. Taylor and his friend Elmer Sutton went through several boxes of 22 caliber pistol shells, trying their best to fend off the uh, the aliens. Uh, The two men shot wildly at the creatures, and this went on for a while. Now, from my understanding, if you read about this, I mean, they they had shot the the aliens, supposedly, and they'd lay there, I guess, stunned, and they would pop back up, and they would come back after them. I mean, (laughs) so that's the story anyway. Anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, One family member did make it uh, out to the police, and uh, so he went to the police and told them, what was happening and the police did come over and they investigated and they found nothing so i don't know this this really doesn't sound too plausible but you know what it makes an interesting story (laughs) here's one of my favorites it has a special place because it is not far from me the kecksburg incident on december 9th 1965 residents of kecksburg pennsylvania about 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, which is very close to me. Uh, Sherry and I live just outside of Pittsburgh. And um, this this place, Kecksburg, is literally in the middle of nowhere. We actually visited this place twice. Very, very cool place. we're, nor- we're near Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and Kecksburg is probably about a 45-minute drive from us, maybe maybe even slightly less, maybe 35 minutes. And we had visited twice, and they have a festival out there, which is really cool. Uh, but, I'll, uh, but I'll get into more of that a little bit later on. Okay, people on December 9th, 1965, reported seeing a strange craft flying by and landing in the woods, and there was an eerie glow 
the craft went through parts of Detroit on the way to Kecksburg. So, so this was apparently seen by, you know, by several other states as well. The area was immediately sealed off by police. Then after, shortly after the military took over, they drove flatbeds down into the secluded area. And there was many eyewitnesses to this. And there was uh, some people who seen a flatbed emerge with a covered object about the size of a Volkswagen. Okay, now, so this, this definitely happened. I mean, there's just too many people to have seen this. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know exactly what this was uh, and why on earth would the military come in so quick? I mean, it was almost like they were tracking something. Here's an interesting theory. All right. If you look, if you look online and if you search the, the uh, German bell, this was, this was a project by the Germans in World War II. All right. And supposedly this, this was a form of a time machine. Very, very cool. Supposedly there was, uh, was it, um, uh, mercury, red, red uh, mercury, I think was, uh, was in the centrifuge of this thing and it would spin at a high rate. That seemed to be the key to this thing. Supposedly it was a time machine that could hold one or two people. There is an interesting theory that possibly this bell was from the past and it was projected into the future say from 1946 and all the way up until Kecksburg 1965 and the eyewitnesses did mention that there was strange type of writing on it almost like a hieroglyphics it was shaped like a large acorn roughly I believe it was nine feet tall uh, in 1990 the, the TV program unsolved mysteries they did an episode on this and they built a mock-up of the acorn craft out of fiberglass and this is at this site currently like i said my wife and i had visited this twice and they have a really cool nine foot craft it looks like a strange looking acorn and you could go up and take pictures in front of it and everything it's like a really cool festival it helps bring in money for the local firefighters and so forth so it is a good cause uh they have a lot of crafts that they sell there's different booths that you can eat you know and so forth and you can play games if you have a chance definitely check this place out so there you go those are the ones that kind of stick in my mind uh most of them were pretty obscure except for the kecksburg one i think most people have probably heard of that one but anyway thanks for stopping by maybe sherry will be here next week when the aliens bring her back thanks for coming by we hope to see you soon we'll talk to you soon bye bye Thank you.